Welcome to this week's episode of A Good Thing. I'm Neil. And I'm Neil. From here on in, this is a good part of Tony's face. Everything's so nice, like super great. So great, so great, yeah, yeah. We could, yeah, we could, yeah, we could stay here Jack, how's your week going? So, I'm really excited because I stopped and I looked at our listener locations for this podcast. Well, not this specific podcast, because obviously it hasn't been broadcast yet, so we don't know where. And that would be like really weird and self. I looked at the historical locations for people listening to our podcast. I'm guessing it's mostly UK. You know what? It is mostly the United States. Oh, really? I think it's that thing where like an English accent gets you a free pass and your content can be really bad. Oh, okay. (laughs) Start speaking like the Queen. Um, But surprisingly, guess our third... Don't look at my screen. (laughs) Guess our third most popular country. So United States, United Kingdom. I 100% saw it, so I'm just going to say France. Oh, it's funny you should say France because it is Iran. Really? Yeah, right? It's Iran. Uh, we are popular, or well, not popular, <laughs> definitely not popular in any district. Um, but we have 2% of our listeners come from Iran. Wow. Yeah, who are those Iranians? Who, and that's interesting because my brother lives in Italy, um, and Italy is below Iran. So there's definitely more people in Iran listening to us than in Italy. Some people say Iran. I'm worried that now I've... I don't know. Maybe it's a dialect thing. But yeah, no, I think it's quite interesting, actually, if you scroll through them that, I mean, yeah, like it's it's really quite varied. We're, we're going around quite a few places. And the good thing is you can kind of so you can go country and then it gives you region in the country or city, depending on which place. So like we have people in Japan, in Tokyo, Kyoto and Aichi. Now, Aichi isn't like a major place like the others. Who are these people in this area who have gone? If you're listening and you're from Aichi in Japan. Um, Hello. Yes. How are you doing? Konnichiwa. <laughs> um, unless it's morning or evening, then ohayo gozaimasu or konbanwa. Hey, there you go. Well, that's the beauty of podcasts, right? You can choose whenever you... <laughs> um, but yeah, if you're listening, get in contact. In fact, if you're not from the UK, get in contact. In fact, even if you're from the UK, everyone get in contact. But really, like, I'd love to know who, how you found our podcast and why you listen if you're from any of these countries on the list which aren't like you know basically my mum <laughs> yeah definitely and i think actually for anyone like we want you to send in other great good news stories that you have where you are because those are things that we want to sh- see and we want to be able to share so do get in touch with us on uh, any of our social medias which is at a good good thing um, and share your stories with us and say hi because we'd really like to put faces to listeners yeah and i would super like to know what good stories and good listeners we have from places like Uganda or the Bahamas or Haiti. Uh, All of these places on this list who I have like no personal connection with, but somehow my voice is played there and someone has listened to it. Um, Your voice too. Mine as well, yeah. Um, Yeah, so that's that's my cool revelation for the week. Uh, What about you, Neil? Anything? Uh, I've had a really good week, actually. Um, So my... uh, a good, good thing for the week is my uh, friend Riyad Khalif, uh, who is a YouTuber and presenter and activist and kind of all round amazing person, uh, has released his first book. Uh, and it's a book called Yay, You're Gay, Now What? Um, and it's basically a gay boy's guide to life. Um, so Riyad wrote it as a kind of 
as the book that he wished he had when he was younger. Um, and it's, it, you know, so it covers you know, coming out, what being gay, queer, trans, bi means, um, about getting into relationships, about sex for the first time. Um, it then has like a section for family and friends that's written by his parents. Um, and it's just a really amazing book. And uh, I attended the book launch the other day um, and it was, it was a real celebration. And to see the mix of people that were there, it was just really exciting. And it's brilliant that like that type of book is so well received um, these days. And I think it's going to do really, really well. I think it's already on the bestseller lists of a few different lists. Um, and so, yeah, that's my good thing of the week. I think it's great. I think for anyone out there who is listening and is thinking about coming out or thinking, realizing that they may be of the queer community. Especially I if you're from Uganda or Aruba or Haiti. Definitely. Or... Maybe, uh, yeah, I'd throw you recommend grabbing a copy and, and reading because it is, uh, it is brilliant. So, Well, while we're completing this plug, where can they find the place to purchase this book? I mean, in, available in all good bookstores and on Amazon. <laughs> Mainly on Amazon. <laughs> yeah, that's where I got it from. <laughs> um, I don't have any music for now. That's fine. This is when the music comes in. That's where it saves us. Jack, so if unless you were living under a rock, everyone has probably seen the, the the news over the last few weeks, which has been about Extinction Rebellion and the protests in London. I should point out that I did know about this, but I didn't know about the royal baby. So I've been living like 80% under a rock. I mean, it does depend on your priorities, but I personally think both are equally as important. And that is why I, I don't even have any words to... I'm not going to project my negativity regarding anything on this podcast. So it's good because that is against the rules. It's a good vibes only space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's in the tagline. Um, but yeah, so Extinction Rebellion have been everywhere in the news. Um, they've been blocking different parts of London. I think it was Marble Arch, Oxford Circus, Waterloo Bridge, and there was one more I thought. But either way, they have been blocking the bridge, and each one was to represent one of their demands and each one was uh, was focusing on that um and it's all about climate change and telling the government that they're not doing enough and that we aren't doing enough quick enough um to stop the climate crisis which is going to be upon us in the not so distant future um which we're already experiencing i think is... definitely i think we've all seen that uh, in the crazy weather that we have here and that we see ab abroad um and actually you know what's really interesting i was uh, reading this thing with uh, Pete Buttigieg, the American presidential candidate, and he's really into... Oh, I've heard of that guy. He's like a mayor right now. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. and he's the first LGBT uh, candidate as well, openly LGBT candidate. Um, and he, a lot of his kind of campaigning as well is around climate change. And what's really interesting and so correct, I believe, is that when we talk about climate change or you see it on TV, you tend to think of polar bears in the Arctic. And what he's trying to do is bring the media and like what he calls the b-roll footage when you're talking about it to closer to home it's a thousand year rainfall or it's it's horrendous continual out of season flooding it's california wildfires um to show that actually this is everything that's affecting us and causing problems in society is from that and it's not a distant problem 
Yeah, well, you know, I heard a statistic a while back, which was like for every 40 tons of carbon emitted per year, like there's a victim of climate change, which is a really weird way to think about it when we all give out like five to eight tons of carbon each just by living in the UK. Yeah, um, completely. And I think so to go back to Extinction Rebellion, their kind of demands were one was to tell, get the government to like tell the truth um, because they believe that the figures that the government are saying and what we are saving and how we are reducing carbon emissions is fairly glossed over and it's not actually that clear. They say that we've reduced it by 47%, um, but that's not in its entirety. That's actually not including imports and exports. Um, it's just the uh, within the country. Um, so actually, if you look at our over, if you count that in everywhere, it's actually only 10%. Um, and 10% reduction or 10% reduction sorry um and you know but at the same time obviously they're not necessarily incorrect to report it that way because that's the international decided way but um so they want clearer communication on uh on the state of uh, climate change um and our carbon reduction emissions reduction um the next one is that they want a citizens assembly to help um make decisions on how we tackle it going forward and then their final one is to for the UK to get to net carbon emission, net zero carbon emissions, uh, in six years, which six years. which is obviously the one that everyone's just like, you're crazy. That's not going to happen. Um, and so yeah, I mean, like obviously, there's a lot of back and forth feeling on this. There's a lot of people that um, fully support it. There's a lot of people that are massive against how they did it. Um, in that. They believed that, you know, they kind of like, they threw the whole like, oh, you're a hippie. You're blocking people from getting to work. But, you know, for me, I'm on the side of like, name me some sort of actual important pivotal social change where this wasn't what had to happen for it for it to actually get spoken about and actually make some difference. Um, and it reminds me of the Green New Deal in America as well, where, you know, they've got this, at the moment, it's not necessarily set out policies, it's just ideas and goals. Um, and it's just branded as socialist. Um, but what I always think is that, but it's showing you how much we need to do. It's kind of supposed to scare you to realize how behind we are. And so what I thought might be quite cool is if we looked at some countries around the world that are actually doing really amazing things with reducing their carbon emissions and upping their environmentally friendly, sustainable energy resources. Well, who are we gonna start with? I don't know. I've got to go get my laptop. <laughs> it's okay. I'll hum things. <laughs> do, do, do. Are we talking about carbon reduction, as in like CO2 reduction? Or are we talking about plastic sensible use and recycling and those kind of things? Uh, I was actually thinking about both. Um, so I think there are a lot of different countries that are kind of doing one or the other. Some that are doing in well in both or have set themselves like strong targets to meet in both. Um, but I think to focus on carbon emissions first, one actually that's really close to home is that from, I think it was from May, the week from May 1st, the UK burnt no coal for its electricity use. Yeah, that sounds, that's interesting because like the UK was a really big coal power gen. I mean, I guess it was almost the first coal power generation country in the world like from what the 19th century that's how we yeah completely so they've uh, they actually said that, that it was the first week since the industrial revolution um and so most of our electricity uh, energy came from um renewable and gas and nuclear um and actually they believe the national grid says that they think that by 2025 that 
will have uh, zero carbon emissions from our electricity um, energy production, um, which I think is really exciting and showing that, you know, for as much as we still need to do, there are things happening at home that are going the right way. Yeah, that's really interesting. I wonder how they get the carbon emissions down from gas, which currently makes up like, what, 40% of our power consumption? I don't know. Like, I think it's going to be, I wonder if it's just going to be where it will eventually just keep phasing out when they go higher in, in, in wind. And I think it's about finding those right alternatives. Like, if you look at somewhere like Iceland, which uses geothermic and hydroelectric, yeah, um, uh, they, um, you know, they really make use of their natural landscape, and this, you know, all, so all of this energy is drawn from underground, and actually, a hundred percent of their energy is from renewable resources. So actually, they have the most clean energy provided per person than anywhere else on the entire planet. And that's, I guess, the benefit of the UK is we have really big offshore wind. Um, one, we're in islands, so we've got onshore wind, and we've got the North Sea, which has huge windstorms. So that's where, like, as a country, we can take advantage of those natural yeah. geographic features. Yeah, definitely. And what I actually find as well, though, I was talking about this the other day, is that I also think that wind farms are the most beautiful thing ever to look at. And so many people seem to hate them, and I think that they are the most calming, amazing thing to watch. I know, they are so kind of meditational and relaxing and just spinning around, generating the power we need for our world. I think it's so cool. And it's, oh, I'm going to get this wrong. I knew I should write these things down. But it's one turn of one wind machine. Turnbine. Turnbine. There we go. That's the word I was looking for. One turn of that is enough, produces enough electricity for, an, for a house, for one house, and I want to say it's either like a day or a month. It was still something impressive. Um, and I'm really glad I didn't write that fact down. But like the power that we have, a potential of wind in the UK is incredible. I have some interesting statistics about wind because I'm a bit of an electricity geek. Um, just another aspect of my geeky persona. Um, we have about 20 gigawatts of wind capacity in the UK network. And we have a further, I think, 16 to 17 gigawatt developments planned um so which is actually really strange because 20 is a huge amount like if you think back to like 2000 like 10 years ago 15 years ago we didn't have much renewable energy at all um we had huge reliance on coal and now we've like dropped that coal usage by like 30 percent or something or the carbon emissions have dropped by like 30 percent from our power network uh and we've gone up to 20 gigawatts for wind but we've only got 16 gigawatts more planned over the next, like, I don't know, that's all the existing plans we have. I would love to see that go up to like 30, 40, 50 planned gigawatts. Because on an average day, we use about 35 gigawatts of electricity as a country. And wind, although we've got 20 gigawatts of capacity, the wind doesn't always blow. And so sometimes you have very slow moving turbines. So I think yesterday, we were running at about, uh, ooh, I've totally forgotten the statistic, I don't want to make it up, about two gigawatts of, uh, of wind power. So even though we have a capacity of 20, we're only getting two, it's like 10%. So if we put on 16 more gigawatts of wind power, some days we're only getting like an additional 1.6 out of that. And we need about 14 gigawatts to take all the gas out of our power generation system. And I think that's where the counter argument comes, isn't it? Uh, comes in, isn't it? Like, so the people that are, you know, probably who have vested interests in fossil fuels, um, say that wind 
power isn't the answer because the wind doesn't always blow and that's kind of their go-to argument even though actually um the successes around wind have shown that it's now more affordable than fossil fuel burn uh, electricity energy yeah in a, in a lot of places and a lot of people also suggest nuclear is the solution which you know is a really powerful form of carbon free emission but it does create nuclear waste which is and also there's a lot more security things if things go wrong you get really big incidents which we have seen a few times um i know fukushima where you know japan had that big tsunami and it, mm -hmm. the water flooded into the power plant and there were some problems and the procedures weren't correctly set up to deal with it um, but that meant like tens of thousands of people had to leave their homes because they were too radioactive for them to live. Like that is not, I don't know, it seems like a risk. Yeah, I think that's, that's the thing with, with nuclear, like it, for its immense power, like it just, I find it too scary and what it can mean when it goes wrong and kind of, you know, well actually, you know, thinking about, um, Chernobyl, um, did you see it in the David Attenborough program um, about climate change? Where actually was it? Was it either the climate change one or it was our planet? He's got so much going out at the moment. He's a busy guy um, that was showing actually about how nature has returned and it's all green and there's loads of animals coming back that haven't been even like wolves have come back and they'd they'd left the area because of humans uh, long before the incident. Um, so you know maybe it's just like a part of a larger plan to get us out of the way to let nature like relive uh, you know regrow and re uh, recreate itself yeah because... rewilding of chernobyl um, so i mean those animals do have higher incidence of cancer though yes true so you know you know you win some you lose some <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so um yeah there are there are places that are doing great things with carbon emissions but then the one for me which i probably pay more attention to is the ideas around recycling and what we're doing to reduce plastic use and things that damage the environment and think, sending things to landfill because I think that this is what people and consumers can one help fund change quicker um, by changing their purchasing behaviors um, but also it's just one that we can you know actively just do in our day-to-day -day. and I think what's interesting to go back to the Extinction Rebellion's demands and the Green New Deal is how we act and consume is so entrenched in our daily lives and not to necessarily anyone's detriment because it's a lot of things we just didn't know and there is so much unlearning that needs to be done and relearning of how we should be behaving and how we should be consuming that it is going to take a long time and that's why all of these demands and these conversations just seem like fairy tales or just impossible things to reach and you know a great example um is there is a city in Sweden called Eskilstuna. 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 And they um, recycle 50% of their waste and don't actually um, send anything to landfill. And they do it by... It, but it's, it's not easy. So their residents have to separate their rubbish into seven different coloured bags. And when you look at it, you're like... And then basically all those bags are collected. And then because of their bright colours, machines can help sort them. And it's a lot of work. And I, you know, I've seen people in the UK that are screaming over three. And, but it's showing you the level it takes to properly deal with what we're consuming. And the option is you do it yourself and you put it into seven or your taxes go up because we're going to pay the government to do it. Um, and so it's like 
there's good, there's fights either way because I don't want to do it and I don't want to pay more to have someone else do it. But the point is, is this is what we should have been doing in the first place. This should have been how we were brought up and how we were educated to treat the stuff we would we're, we're using. You know what? I have a really insightful thing I want to say about this. Yeah. But I'm gonna put it to one side because I want to one up you with your Escal Escal Tuna story. All right, fine. So uh, one thing I want to do. So I have a challenge. I have a challenge for you. I have a challenge for anyone uh, listening to this podcast. Um, and that is something I did myself the other day. Is that when you next go shopping, uh, and this has to be going to a physical shop, not shopping online. Um, uh, well, actually, maybe the information is online, but I want you to go in with your shopping list and every single th- thing you pick up and whether you decide to actually put it in your basket and tick it off your list, you can only put it in if the packaging is recycling. So I did this the other day and I could only put about 2% of my um, of my shopping list into, into my basket. And it was things that I'd been buying every, like, every week or things that... I'd actually probably stupidly been putting in recycling because I thought it was recyclable. And I think that's a huge education piece and people not realising what isn't isn't recyclable. We're like, this feels like plastic, it must be recyclable. And so much isn't. What have you been incorrectly recycling? So you I did... monster. <laughs> no, no. Well, so the, the, I think the, the interesting one is things... Uh, it's where half and half of it isn't recyclable. So if you get anything that comes in like a tray with a film over the top, the tray's recyclable, the film isn't. Or, you know... Ha- um, pump hand soaps um, and dispensers the bottle will be recyclable but the pump isn't but obviously you're like oh but it's all plastic so you throw the whole thing in whereas actually what you need to do is separate it throw the bottle away and actually the, the pump needs to go into landfill so that's why it's maybe we should be using it maybe we should go back to hand soap I maybe got a big bug bro just, just use hand soap right yeah. people just use you can buy shampoo bars you can buy conditioner bar. who even you don't even need the I, you don't even need the plastic. Okay, so I'm I'm on the fence here because I also do just have that thing of like if I'd gone to the bathroom just after someone else and the soap was wet, yeah. it's kind of feels grim. I know it's like not, but it feels it. Um, so, but for me, it's like you know, obviously there is a conversation around you know physical ability potentially, but for me, I'm like, why do we need the ease of pump? I suppose that because it reduces the waste because you know to only pump it twice. But also, you pump it twice. I've had it once. Some of them tell you to pump it twice. I just went with the they instructions. They have specific instructions. Some of them, yeah, to how much you're going to need. I didn't even know that was a yeah, thing. Hundred percent. And whereas you know, it's kind of like you could just pour it, um, you know. Or there are some brands. Actually, I was reading uh, one of the things that sparked this in my mind was um, this. Uh, it was a Carex bottle, um, but at least what Carex do is that you can buy just the bottle body and the refill, and so you just keep the pump. Um, so at least that helps reduce the amount that's going to get thrown away, which uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of. Um, and, you know, there are some other brands that are doing, working on their packaging. I met with a brand called Code Zero. It's, uh, it's a sub-brand of a shaving company called King of Shaves. And it's a new, I think it's on Kickstarter at the moment, and they're producing like things like deodorant sticks and shaving sticks in aluminium casing, and you replace the bar. So I you keep the, the case had a water forever. bottle in aluminium, and they were like, "Yeah, it's a really great way of reducing like weight because it weighs less than glass, but also it's not like plastic. Aluminium is super recyclable; it doesn't degrade in quality." Um, lots of people are like just move to aluminium. So, but what's interesting here, and it was something I mentioned to the brand, is that 
So that's really true about everything um, aluminium. I almost said aluminium then, I'm like an American. 38% of our listeners are American. So I should say aluminium. Um, and uh, is that it's, but it is energy intensive to produce. Um, but to, it's energy intensive to produce in the first place. But then what's great is that to recycle it, it only takes, so I'm going off stats of Nespresso here. Nespresso is considered quite evil by a lot of people. But what's interesting is that, yes, it's aluminium pods, but the company provides by every means possible for you to recycle your pods. They collect it for free. They give you the bags to collect them in. You can drop them off in Collect Plus stores. You can take them to their shops or you can just send them, um, uh, drop them off at like a post office. Um, and it only takes 5% of the energy to recycle the pods back into new pods. Um, so it's a really well-functioning system. The reason that they all end up in landfill and everyone gives them a bad name is people, not process. The company has set that out, and it's actually um, people that just then don't bother. And it's why it kills me at work when I see Nespresso machines, because at my last job, I became like the pod police, because I was like putting signs up everywhere being like, I don't want to see these in the bin, because it was killing me every time I'd see someone just chuck a whole load of pods into the bin, because they could have become pods that you were using <laughs> in, a, in a week's time. Um, uh, and so, yeah, so I think it's, it's just this huge re-education piece on what your actual materials are. Not all plastics are created equal. Um, and I challenge you to actually go in, shop, and then look at what you're buying and realise your impact on your daily shop. When you get home and you open something with a plastic film, and then you like, you know, the film breaks and there's kind of bits of the film still stuck to the other. Do you go to the effort of like peeling that off separately? Like I actually normally do. And I think that maybe, I don't, I, I can't say that's because I'm some sort, you know, because I'm like, it's an environmental thing. I think it's more just like an OCD thing that when it's off, I then just like to rip it all off. Um, but yeah, no, I do. Because especially now that I know that they are, the, the top bit isn't recyclable. So you shouldn't put it in there. So I make sure that it, it, it can go off. That is super conscientious. Thank you. Uh, try. Um, so I want to go back to my one-upmanship. So yes, go, go. So you mentioned this town from Sweden. Yeah, Eskilstuna. Sweden. Sweden. Um, Eskilstuna. Um, I want to see you at Eskilstuna and raise you Kamikatsu. What? Where is Kamikatsu? Kamikatsu is a small town in Japan. And by small, I mean like 1,600 people. Okay, wow. Um, and they recycle 81% of their waste. Um, because they have 45 different categories of recycling. So, and also, it doesn't get collected from your house. You have to pick it up, you have to move it to the location, and then you have to go in and take your litter and throw it in each of these 45 different categories. Um, so 45 different If you think like eight is a lot, or seven, um, 45. It's just... But that shows you the, like, you know, the volume of effort, and I think, I, you know, I get why then people don't want to do it but it's like fine if you don't want to do it that end then think about what you're buying in the first place you know don't buy vegetables in uh plastic packets buy them loose so that you can do it in a you can reuse a bag um you know because if you're if you're doing it this end there's less to do on the other and obviously it's easier to just buy the right thing in the first place than trying to figure out which recycling category it has to go in um and actually it then made me think that so one thing that's great in the uk is that um, there was about 40 huge companies, retailers, like all of the major supermarkets and or most of them, um, and like Coca-Cola and stuff that all um, signed uh, an agreement or pledged to make sure that within, I think something, 
I want to say 2025 as well. I feel like that, that date's come up again quite a lot. Um, Great year, 2025. It's going to be a big year. All of their plastic is going to be either recyclable um, or compostable. And um, so like co-op are introducing new compostable carrier bags so that you can shop with them. And then also you can then obviously put food waste in them and then they will disintegrate in the ground within 12 weeks in the right conditions. So you can't put it on, obviously, in cement floors. It's got to be under the right conditions. But you, you know what? There's some interesting science around whether compostable bags are actually compostable. Oh, really? Or whether they're just being portrayed as compostable. Um, so it's I like I, an ideal working compostable bag. Great. Whether the ones we have are compostable. Well, I suppose it, it comes down to that because that that's the kind of caveat that I think people look at, look don't look at is that they're like they read compostable bag, but then they don't look at the bit that says in the right conditions. And so it's like if those right conditions are in moist soil where, you know, surrounded by soil, whereas if you've got like 50 bags that you put into ground, like the ones in the middle may not decompose. I think something along those lines of those ideal, those compostable conditions mean like the soil is 30 degrees or something, and there's, which is difficult to achieve for the majority of people who will be using those bags. Um, so it is something to think about deeply. To step back... The good, good thing is Extinction Rebellion or uh, the efforts that they highlight? I think it's the efforts that they highlighted. I think it was it was a really good thing because it actually, they got so mainstream. I think it actually knocked Brexit out of the headlines for, for a week, um, which was, you know, actually a respite in itself. Um, but I think the work that they've done and, you know, with the New Deal in America, Green New Deal in America, is to really help a lot more people understand what's happening um and you know the kind of the the voices that they've raised like Greta Thunberg who uh we know I'm a massive fan of um you know they're they're really raising awareness and keeping this conversation going um and so I think then on top of that it's also just good to see that there are a lot of really positive stories in different countries that are happening and these things are possible it is just going to take a collective effort from government and policy and legislation as well as consumer behaviour. Um, but it's very much possible. And I do believe that we can hit the targets that we, we want to hit. Can I add a plus one good, good thing to your good, good thing? Yeah, of course. Is that, is that allowed? This is a first for a second. <laughs> um, two days ago, uh, some scientists announced they discovered a new type of, or they'd invented a new type of plastic that is endlessly recyclable and is useful for all kinds of applications. So at the moment, part of the recycling issues, you have to work out which types of plastic are used for which. Maybe if we switch to this amazing wonder new plastic, then we won't have to think about that. We won't need 40,000 different types of recycling bin because we can just go plastic, plastic, plastic. So hopefully in the future, we'll see this super plastic come online. Fingers crossed. Jack, we know that there are loads more other stories happening in the world right now that are, oh, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. I'm so, I was so like... I have more science stories to talk about and they're good things. Okay, well, we don't have that much time. So I'm going to give you 30 seconds to go through as many of them as you can. And then I'm going to pick the one that I want to hear. Okay, well, <laughs> sorry, I just read the first one. You'll laugh when you hear it. <laughs> All right, you ready? Uh-huh. Okay, in three, two, one...
Go. Scientists create a new type of plastic that's endlessly recyclable. Playing Pokemon as a child changes your brain. US Army develops batteries that are 50% lighter than previous ones. Color vision has been found in fish that live in near darkness. Breakthrough may slow Alzheimer's disease in its tracks. A bat-winged dinosaur has been found, not alive, a fossil. Optimal sunscreen uses allows vitamin D synthesis without sunburn. Anger may be more harmful than sadness to physical health of older adults. A new type of ice was created with powerful lasers. Scientists are using bacteria to fight bacteria, and similarly, a 15-year-old with chronic anti body Stop. resistance oh well you'll never Sorry, know about that 50. yeah no never know you're never gonna know what's gonna happen to him actually that one firstly it's a her and secondly that was already all over the press so oh, okay. i think most people would have heard of it if not it's about a 15 year old girl who had chronic antibiotic resistance but she they used this thing called i think it's i've only seen it written Phage therapy, it's p-h-a-g-e phage therapy which is where you get a specific type of virus to target the bacteria and you have to like test the bacteria against all these types of virus. I actually, surprisingly, know about phage therapy. I watched, it was either, I think it was an episode of the Netflix, uh, Netflix Explained, um, with which is done with Vox, and, or maybe it was the BuzzFeed version, but they, yeah, did a whole episode on it, and it was, it's really interesting how they can train these phages to uh, attack certain um, viruses and bacteria. Yeah, it's right. it's really Russia has been doing it for like decades because like there's kind of this rough approximation which is the West went with antibiotics and Russia went with phage phage things um, and antibiotics were useful because they were super universal but also they cause more wider problems because they kill all bacteria or a lot of bacteria not just the targeted ones whereas phage therapy is a lot more targeted but a lot more difficult because you have to customize the type of phage to the virus yeah. maybe even to the person anyway. Yeah, you okay. haven't picked that story. No, so. I haven't picked it, but everyone's got a little dose of it. Um, oh, do you know what? There was actually quite a few that I liked there, and I'm endlessly going... recyclable plastics. Yeah, well, we've, <laughs> um, we, I, I'm fighting between Pokemon because I want to know what these changes in the brain are if you have it when you're a kid, and the breakthrough to slow down Alzheimer's, or even the sunscreen. You always go for the sunscreen story. Like, well, I just, Every time I, it comes up, you're like, mm, I can get a tan and be healthy. I'm a, I'm a passionate advocate of using SPF daily, but I also like myself with a tan, so shoot me. I'm not going to feel bad about that. But I think it's between the Alzheimer's developments or Pokemon. I'm going to say the Pokemon one. Well, I know you're a big... Pokemon fan. Huge Pokemon fan. You know Detective Pikachu has come out? I cannot wait to see that film. I'm sure it's trash. I'm sure it's horrendous, but it's going to be so much fun. At least it doesn't look like Sonic the Hedgehog. Maybe we can get Ryan Reynolds on as a guest. I bet he's got loads of positive stories. Yeah, well, you would if you were rich and famous and owned your own gin company. Did you know that? No, I didn't. I think you bought, like, Aviator Gin. I think George Clooney started a... a trend here where it's like oh actually yeah if you get a gin company everyone buys it because you're famous or if you get an alcohol co- spirits company everyone buys it because you're famous and then Diageo will come and give you a billion for it yeah that makes that makes sense I've had lots of articles that talk about Ryan Reynolds and his gin company also talk about George Clooney uh, okay yeah anyway he loves gin and he bought a gin company and that's the story of the week cool <laughs> cool so how did Pokemon change my brain well, so how much Pokemon did you play as a young young whippersnapper? A lot. I guess we're both old enough that it came out. I say I guess. Like, we're the same age, literally, today. So I know that you were old yeah, Jack enough. Jack and I share so. the same birthday. That's a little fun factoid about us. 
They're born on the same day, the same year, except I'm a little bit older. I mean, you do say we share it, but I think you monopolize our birthday. You're like, oh, look, it's my special day. Jack's here too. That's what I... Yeah, I can't really fight that. <laughs> I'm just I'm just slightly more out there than you. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm older. And that's, um, that's what I uh, hold over you. So you had Pokemon as a youngster. I did. I had on Pokemon the... red and yellow and gold. No, wait, silver. And then I think I had Sapphire. Wow, that is a lot of brain I changing. never stopped it. loved it. Oh, and Pokemon Stadium on the N64. Oh, nice. With the ad- And Pokemon cards. Was there an adapter which let you play your Pokemon? Yeah, so you could play it on big screen. Ah. Genius. <laughs> well, um, so if you played Pokemon Goes, Pokemon Goes, that's the new one. If you played Pokemon games extensively as a kid, uh, there's a specific region of your brain which gets fired up when you now see the characters. Um, so Stanford University, they took a bunch of subjects and they showed them hundreds of Pokemon characters. And when they see like the characters that they recognize, there's a specific brain response. Uh, it's an area just behind the ears. Um, I'm, I'm pointing. No one can see. Yeah, I was going to describe where I'm pointing to. I was like, Jack is currently pointing to the back of a bit further than the back of his ears. I think what you mean is the occipitotemporal sulcus. That's what I said. This podcast is basically mispronouncing words. It's me mispronouncing words for an extended period of time. I mean, occipitotemporal. Oh, wait, occipitotemporal. Yeah, I would have just like phonetically done it. Or See, is that osit? I mean, I'm not going to do- dedicate yeah. any more time to this. There's um, part in your head. So it's a part in your head, and it's the place where you recognize faces and words and numbers and celebrities. And so you kind of have trained that area to recognize and be stimulated by Pokemon. Um, and Pokemon fans uh, were quite unique because the characters are quite unique. So it was like a very easy way to determine whether it had this same uh, effect and it did so if you watch lots of pokemon part of your brain that kind of engaged with those characters has changed even in adult life to make you instantly respond to those those stimulus i guess that shows that like mascots in general works quite well yeah but i suppose it it does show the like kind of gravity of the impact of the show and the games yeah, or the like the strength of the character design, maybe. Yeah. Like they've there was been another Pokemon study, which showed that Pikachu's giant eyes mean that he fires off like the cutesy receptors that we're hardwired to have for creatures with big eyes, which is why like basically all mammals, like mammal babies, have bigger eyes compared with the rest of their like bodies or features, because it fires off this cutesy response, which makes us like them and find them. Uh, enjoyable and less threatening. Um, uh, is and that why we like the lor? Is it the loris? The slow yes, loris. The slow loris. The yeah. Crazy big beautiful eyes. Yeah, and like really slow movie hands. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's we had this effect, and Pikachu is like the way he's designed with those giant eyes. It really stimulates that part of us, and our cute receptors almost go to overload. Um, so, the, yeah, I guess there's a lot there about how one, how well Pokemon are designed, or at least the first 150. After that, they kind of go a bit crazy. Um, Personal opinion. That's not a scientific <laughs> opinion. Um, but yeah, and how we respond to those. So if you played a lot of Pokemon, you will now respond to those characters in a way that directly stimulates a certain part of your brain. In and, a positive way. I mean, just in a way. You, you know, you could have like Pikachu smoking crack and 
it would it would still fire off that recognition part of your brain. Niche mental image. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's dangerous, right? Maybe now that we've formed these associations, maybe that's the real part of this study is that making associations in children, they can still have those associations in adulthood automatically, but they could be used for nefarious purposes. That's very true. Well, at least at the very least, I now want to go and buy a new Game Boy so I can rebuy the Pokemon games because I haven't played them in so long. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll see you when we next record it and hopefully I'll have completed it. There's a new one coming out for Nintendo Switch, set in like a fictional version of Britain. Great, yeah. I will have to go and buy a Nintendo Switch then as well. Yeah, don't, they're super expensive. Oh. Like £300, £300. So we said that in the last episode. <laughs> is there, oh my God, all we talk about is, is Nintendo Switches. <laughs> Nintendo Switches and my ability to not pronounce that's it for this week's episode of A Good Good Thing. If you liked it, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. We need those five stars. It will help more people find us. And don't forget to get in touch and send us your positive stories so that we can share them with everyone else. Especially if you're from different countries, because I'm super interested in that. I mean, I'm not saying that any country shouldn't do it. Like, if you're from the UK, still definitely do it. We're from the UK. Um, but those other countries on that list please let me know if you're listening why you're listening what you listen to and who you prefer Jack or Neil this is Jack oh that's savage um, but yes do get in touch and we will see you in the next episode goodbye bye good, good, good thing. we've got a good